Thank you, Liz. Let's pray, shall we? And then we'll have a look at this topic tonight of faith and evidence together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus, for sending him that we might see who you truly are and be drawn to you through him and be saved by you through him. Open our eyes, we pray, spiritual eyes tonight, that any blindness which we still have as human beings may be taken away and that through faith we might see Jesus as he truly is. In Jesus' name, amen. I was at a drinks party recently uh, where I met a retired physicist and got chatting. And as we chatted, I explained that I'm a vicar. And he immediately kind of apologized to me and said, you know, I'm afraid you're going to find that I'm a convinced atheist as a scientist and you have no hope of converting me. So I kind of looked interested and said to him, you know, well, why are you so sure about that? And he said, well, I can only believe in things that I have evidence for. And unfortunately, your God has not seen fit to leave us any evidence of his existence. And therefore, whilst I respect the teachings of Jesus, I don't see why I should worship him. So I said, what about if God had come to earth in Jesus? And he said, well, um, there's really no evidence that he even existed. So I said, well, okay, um, but what if there was, say, evidence that Jesus rose from the dead? What would that do? And he said, well... I just don't believe things like that actually happen. So we, someone interrupted us at that point, and we kind of moved on and um, passed on, I think, good terms. But I had a kind of sense that, though an atheist, he wasn't far from God's kingdom. Something in him was searching. But that encounter, I think, is typical. It reveals, I think, um, what is going on in our culture around us at the moment, that there is, uh, if you like, there are two groups of people. There are those who believe like that guy, only in the material, physical things that we can see, what they call evidence. Uh, we call that idea materialism, material things. And the way that, of living that goes often with it is called secularism. That's just either thinking or living or both without reference to God. Secularism, materialism. Um, so, so they would say, people like that, that evidence and reason logic give us all of the information we need about the world and about life. The other group is those who believe in the supernatural, if you like, or for us particularly, um, in Jesus Christ, in the God of the Bible, personal, uh, supreme, loving, revealed through the scriptures and in Jesus. And so the skeptic would say, the secular skeptic would say, to be a Christian, you've got to check your brain in at the door as you come in of church. You've got to abandon any idea of evidence and just believe blindly. Religion is for people who like to believe in things like ghosts and fairies and God. But actually it's the claim of the Bible that God is not only a personal supreme being, but that he has given evidence of his glory of his presence, of his love, in lots of ways, in creation, the universe, um, in our sense of right and wrong that human beings all share in different ways, uh, especially in revealing himself in the Bible and God's people there, and supremely in Jesus Christ. And we'll come back to that. So we start this series tonight with this topic of faith and evidence. This is the first of four, what we're calling big questions. 
Um, so tonight we're looking at this thing of uh, faith, and of, if, if there is a God, why hasn't he given us more evidence? We'll look in the next three weeks at um, three equally big questions. Suffering and meaning. Uh, if suffering is, is, is part of what Christians see as God's enabling or purpose for the world, uh, how do we believe that? How do we find meaning in that? Freedom and obedience. Why does God tell us things that we can and can't do? And satisfaction, circumstances. Um, what makes us truly happy? And each time, we're going to try and look at this big question and understand why these questions matter, why they challenge faith sometimes, and as Christians, if you're a Christian here this evening, to defend um, the strength, if you like, the reason in the Christian faith from attack. And also, I hope, if you're a Christian here, we're going to go home a little bit more confident. We've got a few things we can say. That we're stronger in our own faith, but we can also meet some of those questions, objections, and point people instead towards Jesus. So tonight's topic, let's dive into that. If God wants us to believe, why is there not more evidence? Can I define faith or believing in Jesus tonight in three ways? We're going to look at three different ways of doing that. Uh, And then actually after those three, we'll end with a brief fourth one to finish with. And we'll do that by referring to that story. So keep John chapter 9 open, because we're going to come back to that and see what that has to say about seeing and believing. Um, But let's just look now at the first of our three ways to define belief. Believing is not blind. There's an atheist philosopher called A.C. Grayling. He wrote a book all about why he rejects religion. And in it he says this. Here's his definition of faith. Faith is a commitment to belief contrary to evidence and reason. Commitment to belief contrary to evidence and reason. I think it's fascinating. He's arguing that, that religious believers have our faith on the ground of subjective feelings, you know, I kind of feel that God's there somewhere, or from alleged miracles, which he doesn't believe in, obviously, um, and it's actually in opposition to an idea of evidence or reason. He's saying that believers ignore any evidence there is that there is or isn't a God, and instead promote such things as hatred and war, when we should be promoting love and respect. In other words, religion is a bad thing for A.C. Grayling. And of course, we can't deny, can we, that Um, There are religious people, there have been always, who are unable to give any evidence for their faith. It's a kind of blind faith. And there are others from Christianity to Islam to Buddhism to all world faiths who have imprisoned or murdered people because they differ. And none of us would want to say, I think that's a good thing or the right thing to do. Uh, But actually, this thing about being blind... You know, believing in something without evidence. It's not only religions that do this. I saw the other day the Flat Earth Society. Have you heard of this, the Flat Earth Society? That believes that the world is flat. Still has a social media page. And, if you like ironic humour, it says on this social media page, um, the Flat Earth Society with branches all over the globe. (laughs) Think about that. Grailing, though, is mistaken, I think, isn't it, about this thing that faith is... 
believing contrary to evidence and reason. Because in the Bible, there are lots of encouragements to believers to have reasons for our faith. We're meant to use reason, look for evidence, and build faith upon that. Um, So Jesus, in John's Gospel, don't turn back to it now, but um, back in chapter 5, he points those who are seeking the truth about him to the words of Scripture. He says, read the words that testify to me. The witness of John the Baptist, you have to read chapter 1 of John to see who John the Baptist was. And he says, my own miracles, the signs I'm doing. Look at the evidence and work it out for yourself. Decide. The Apostle Paul, one of the first Christian preachers, through the book of Acts, you always see him reasoning, these are the words used, debating with philosophers, Jewish teachers, all he can really, to persuade people to follow Jesus. Peter, in his letter, and Jason referenced this at the beginning, tells us as believers, if you're a Christian here, to be prepared always to give the reason for the hope that is in us. So faith is not fundamentalism. Fundamentalism is a distortion of faith. Um, Believing is not blind faith. In fact, it's ironic, again, I think, secular um, atheists can be just as blind, can be fundamentalists themselves. It's quite a fun fact to point out to them to do this, because take that physics guy I spoke about earlier, who refused to need to consider the evidence for who Jesus claimed to be, the resurrection particularly. He saw it as um, unnecessary to do so, which I think is as irrational, isn't it, as anything he's accusing Christians of being, if not worse. So in John 9, that reading we've just seen, where Jesus, um, an extraordinary miracle, one of the, the big signs he does in the Gospels, heals this man from his blindness, gives him sight, um, just with a kind of simple command and some words, And what happens? Well, as we saw in the reading, the religious leaders hear about this and they are not interested in who Jesus really was. They don't look rationally at him. All they ask, if you noticed, is, who is this guy that did this? Point him out to us. And rather than saying, whoa, has he actually done this miracle? Who could he be if he does this kind of thing? All they say is, he did it on a Sabbath. And our traditions, dozens of them, say you mustn't heal on the Sabbath, so this man must be a bad man, a sinner. And I think, isn't that as as irrational, as fundamentalist, isn't it, as anything that Christians are accused of? In their blindness, spiritual blindness, they're unable to see the meaning of the sight Jesus gave to the blind man. Ironic. So in verse 16, they say, if you've got it open there, this man is not from God. And they say this is not on the basis of the fact he's done nothing unusual. Um, he's just a human being. He doesn't do miracles. They say, because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. That's all they look at. So here's the first discovery, that the real blind people in, uh, in our world today, in our experience, in our families and friends, are those who... Maybe because they're afraid of what will happen if they look seriously, are not prepared to even look at the evidence for Jesus. Is that your experience, I wonder? Far from being blind, believing, faith welcomes evidence and reason. So it's not blind, that's the first thing. Here's the second definition. It is more than seeing. It's more than physically seeing. 
You may have seen a few years ago, um, if you're old enough, the film The Matrix. Um, it's, a, it's a very clever story, kind of science fiction, really. But it's based on the, the shocking idea that all of our experiences as human beings, you know, waking, talking, walking, going to work, all these things aren't real. We're not actually doing them. They're simply, if you like, projections, illusions projected into our brain by someone else controlling us through plugs in the back of our brains. So it's kind of a, a video someone's playing us in our brain, which we think is real life. And it's actually an illusion. Now, it's an interesting idea because it does make us ask the question, well, how do I know that any of this is real? You know, how do you know right now, for sure, 100% proof, that you are sitting in a church service this evening? How do you know that? How do you know that, if you look down at the Bible, that the printed black lettering on that page there is real? It's not just a, a video someone's playing you. Ludwig Wittgenstein was one of the great philosophers of the last century, and um, he demonstrated that it is completely impossible for any of us to prove that the world is not just 100 years old. And it's been created containing all of the apparent evidences that make it look much older. How do we know anything? How do we know when we watch... Um, Twitter feeds or news that it's true or fake? How do we even know what we have for breakfast? Can you prove to me what we had this morning without resorting to surgery to expand your, show us your stomach contents? We don't know, do we? We can't prove it. What we see or experience may just be an illusion. So that makes the point that seeing is not everything. Seeing does not give you 100% knowledge of anything, does it? It just gives you an experience through your senses. And Jesus makes a huge claim in this story that, uh, that life, that reality is much more than what we just physically see. So if you have a look at um, verse 3, here is Jesus, here is John's gospel says, here is God's son stepping from eternity, from heaven as we call it, into human time and experience and doing something extraordinary. Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Uh, that, by the way, was just the kind of theory that, that some people had then, that sickness was caused by a particular sin committed. So Jesus says, it's not that he or his parents sinned. This healing, this sight I gave him, happened so that the work of God might be displayed. He's put God in the center of meaning here. If you want to understand the universe, if you want to understand your own life, you won't do it without God in the equation. You won't do it just by seeing physically, because believing is more than seeing. So this healing was not just a, a medical event, though I guess it was that. It's much more. It's a, it's a God event. It's God stepping in and giving us a glimpse of himself. And everything that Jesus does on earth, he says elsewhere, is simply doing the work of God. An extraordinary statement. What a claim. Everywhere he walks, he's just doing the work of God. There's something much bigger in reality than what I can just see with my eyes. So faith believes, doesn't it, that not just God exists, but that he has broken spectacularly 
unmistakably into our experience, into our life, in the life of one man, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, it's a claim that we can't prove with science or maths. I can't say, you know, like three plus five is eight. Um, Jesus did this, this, and therefore, proof, he's God's son. But again, if you think about it, there are lots of things that we can't prove in a kind of mathematical way, but we trust and believe because the evidence for them is, is, say, historically absolutely compelling. And this is true of Jesus. So how, do you, how can you prove that Shakespeare wrote poetry? How can you prove that Churchill was once our prime minister? You and I, we can't prove it like a maths equation. We just trust it, believe it, because of the accumulated historical evidence we've got, which is strong. It's the same with Jesus. I don't believe that God exists and that Jesus rose from the dead in glory to save us because I've got proof of it that I can put up on the screen tonight. But I do believe it because of compelling probability. Not proof, but compelling probability. So, for instance, the Bible... If you've ever read the Bible for yourself, you'll have discovered this. It's it's written not by kind of um, crazy people making up myths and stories, but by credible authors writing what they had seen with their eyes, what we call history about Jesus. Um, The Bible, if you've read it for yourself, you'll know this. It doesn't speak to us as, as a kind of weird book from centuries ago, but as something that tells us of life and God as they really are. It's got the what they call the ring of truth. The resurrection of Jesus, the evidence for the resurrection, when you begin to unpack it, historically, is not only compelling, but it's powerful. It's changed billions of lives. And Jesus' teachings have had such an impact, not only on his followers, but actually on whole cultures, including our own. And I just find personally, just more personally, that when I pray, when I read the Bible, I experience Christ with me, in me, speaking to me, prompting me, challenging me. So believing is not simply seeing, it's more than seeing. But it is commitment to Jesus. Based, if I can put it this way, on that collective, gathered probability of all of these things pointing to him. So believing's not blind. It's much more than simply seeing. Thirdly, believing is, it is seeing. It is seeing, or... If it's not seeing with the naked eye, it's trusting those who have seen. And by that, I especially mean who have seen Jesus. It's seeing, or it's trusting those who have seen. Go back to A.C. Grayling. We heard from him earlier, the, uh, the atheist philosopher. He said that we, he says, I, I don't need to believe in fairies to appreciate the beauty at the end of my garden. Now, he was saying that science is able to appreciate the beauty of the universe without needing to kind of suggest that there must be a God that made it all. But if you think about it, a beautiful garden, like, for instance, I don't know, the plantation garden just down the road here, it does actually, doesn't it, point to the existence of a gardener? Gardens don't just happen. That appearance of something or someone causing these things doesn't come from nowhere. 
And so Christians, and actually even skeptics, like there was an 18th century philosopher, David Hume, have usually accepted that the universe that we see points to a wise and powerful creator, at the very least. Christians would say, of course, to Jesus. So just take modern physics. Most people believe the universe started uh, in a big bang, say 13.7 billion years ago. Uh, And there are, I'm told by experts, there are more than a dozen numbers, physical constants, that all had to be exactly what they were for such things as planets within solar systems and galaxies to be created. Places that would one day sustain life like ours. And so many physicists do say, not even, if not even Christians, some of them, it's almost as if the universe was expecting us. Extraordinary thing, isn't it? The Greek thinker Aristotle influenced the medieval theologian Thomas Aquinas. And Aquinas put together, famously put together five logical, they call them proofs. They're, they're really kind of ways of showing that believing in God is at least reasonable. It makes sense to believe in God. One of them was the idea of cause, that nothing that happens or comes to be just happens. There's always a cause before it. Does that make sense? So, you know, the, um, the lights go off because the bulb blew. There's always a cause before. And if you trace causes back, he said, logically, almost back to infinity, you get back to the very beginning, don't you? What caused the very first event in our universe? And even if you say, well, that was the Big Bang, you've still got to ask, haven't you, well, what's the cause of the Big Bang? And as Christians, we would say, wouldn't we, well, there's a very straightforward answer. The Bible's given it to us. God said, let there be light. So here, back in John 9 again, here is John, the Gospel writer. Uh, And in this story, we'll come back to this in a second. He's showing us the extraordinary things Jesus did that are evidence from eyewitnesses for us to trust and believe in today. Though we weren't there, we couldn't see the blind man being healed. Other people did, and they've written about it. But at the end of his gospel, John actually tells us that he's going to do this. This is why he's writing. So um, there's a verse in John chapter 20 where, speaking to Thomas the skeptic, who said, I've got to stick my finger on his side to believe that Jesus has risen again. I won't believe until I see him. And Jesus appears and says, go on, Thomas, here I am. And he says to Thomas, um, blessed are you because you've believed, but more blessed are those who've not seen physically, but have believed. And then John says, um, Jesus did many other signs so that we could believe in him. But he said, I could have written them, but I can't, but I've written these. These are written that you that read my gospel may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing have life. In his name. If you want to look at that, that's the reference there, John 20, 30 and 31. These are written. I've written these eyewitness accounts for you that you may believe. That's what John's doing in his gospel. He's wonderfully saying to us, um, you can't be there. You, you weren't there when Jesus did these things and rose from the dead and met Thomas. But I'm writing these for you because I was, lots of us were, and we want you to know these things just as much as we did, even though you don't see them. Does that make sense? So seeing is part of believing. It helps us to believe, 
But sometimes we trust those who saw and then we believe. So go back to John 9, if you're still in John 9 there. Just quickly, three examples of how John is giving us reasons in this story why we should trust in Jesus to be God's son and our saviour. Why we should realise his love and grace reaching out to us just as he did to the blind man and calling us to trust him as the blind man came to. So, for instance, um, verse 7, Jesus gave sight to the man. Wonderful act of glory, of power, God stepping into this world, and of course of love, compassion to this man that was blind. Many witnessed the miracle. It wasn't as if it was just a kind of one man making up the story later, but his uh, friends around him, the crowd around him saw it happen. His parents, you know, if you you remember parents, parents are the the, the fiercest critics, aren't they? If you're making something up, they will know. And the parents say, halfway through the story, um, we don't know who this guy was. All we know is our son was blind and now he can see. And then the man himself, as, as Jason said earlier, when the Jewish leaders get down on him and say, Look, come on, how can you say you, you like this guy? He's a sinner. He's healing on the Sabbath. The man says, I don't know who he is. All I know is I was blind, but now I see. And as we saw in our reading, when Jesus meets him and says, says to him again, do you know who the Son of Man is? And he says, no, tell me that I may believe. And Jesus says, I'm standing in front of me. You've seen him. And as he sees Jesus, he doesn't just believe. He falls down in worship because he sees God's grace and glory and love standing in front of him. And all of us can do the same thing. That's what John is saying to us. Jesus is a man that can heal your blindness. He can call you to new life and worship. And the witnesses of others can be the people that you trust to point you to him. So if you're here this evening and you're one of those many that say, you know, I'd like to believe this stuff, but I just don't have enough evidence. I would really challenge you tonight and you know, do this for your own sake. But pick up a copy of John's Gospel. We've got some copies right through at the back. You can just take one this evening and please read it through. Would you do that for me? Read it through this week. Come back next Sunday and tell me what holes you find in it or particularly who is the Jesus that you see there? And I would challenge you to come back and say, I don't find this man extraordinary at all. So if that's you, pick up a John's Gospel. Um, if you've got family and friends, though, and you're a Christian, but you're praying for them because they're not yet, again, good thing to give them a Gospel to read, probably, but be encouraged tonight. We've seen, haven't we, that, that faith is not blind, it is more than seeing, but it does start with seeing or trusting the words, the witness of people who've seen. So you, you may say, well, I've never seen a miracle. Many of us don't. Ah, but, but John did. He saw because the Son of God was walking around on earth the most extraordinary miracles the world's ever seen. He saw the greatest one in the resurrection. You and I may not have seen those things physically, but we can trust John. We can trust the gospel writers and those that witness Jesus. And we can see and believe because they first did So, lastly, and I finish with this. Believing, it is seeing, it's more than seeing, it's not just seeing, but it leads actually to truly seeing. By which I mean, there's seeing with your eye, 
seeing the page in front of you now, but they're seeing with you, if you like, with your heart. When you kind of that kind of a heart moment, I, I see, I get it. Now I know who Jesus is. And that's where believing leads you to. You see, believing, it's much more than logic. It's not just logic. It's not just, it's not just evidence. Evidence is great, but that's not believing. And that's not where believing finishes either. It finishes with love. The blind man fell on his knees before Jesus and worshipped him, saying, you are the most beautiful um, person I've ever met. You're the most glorious being I've ever met. You are um, the son of God in human form, and I worship you. And that's where Christ leads all of us when we meet him. Take a dating couple. Um, If you don't kind of believe that that faith must be more than just logic. When a girl starts meeting a guy, um, she's using evidence, isn't she? to check him out. She's saying, you know, let me just kind of watch him, get to know him. Let's see, you know, is he kind-hearted? Is he generous-spirited? Um, does he shower occasionally, hopefully? Um, is he trustworthy? Is he forgiving? Um, does he share my faith, most importantly? And that's what we do when we get to know someone. We, we check them out. We look for the evidence of their real character. But because love is personal, not mechanical, it can't just be checking out logical evidence, can it? There comes a point where you have to say, I know enough of you now to commit myself to you for life. It's only as you do that that you truly see who they are and discover what it is to know them, to see, not just to believe. And faith is just like that. You can believe that God exists, you can believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but faith goes beyond and says, and I love you, I commit to you because you first committed to me. So that blind man, when Jesus gave him sight, uh, and he had the evidence of being able to see the witnesses, Jesus in front of him, he falls down in love and worship. And you and I, maybe we can see physically, God's been kind to us and our health. But then the religious leaders, they could see fine, couldn't they, physically? But Jesus said, I'm afraid you may be able to see, but you're blind, spiritually. Let's not be like that. Please don't be someone that won't look, that won't open your heart to Jesus. Because the alternative that Jesus is calling from us is to say, I see, Lord, the power of your life, the power of your claims, of your teaching, of your resurrection, and to fall at his feet saying, Lord, help me to see you as well. Can I lead us in a prayer for a moment and hand back to Jason? Lord, thank you that you came into this world when we were blind so that we could see again. When we didn't know God, you came to show us yourself. Far from you, you came to bring us home. And we pray that you will give us confidence in you. Confidence that our faith stands on strong ground. Confidence in the words you've given us. Confidence in what it means to know you and see you in our daily life. Confidence to worship you to offer ourselves in love to you as you first offered yourself in love for us. And may we have opportunity this week to point someone to you. 
to the evidence for you, to the good news about you, but above all, to the person, the Saviour, the King, the Lord, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And in your name and to your glory, we pray. Amen.